Before I start my homily, I think few uh, words are in order to Father Mark, to the staff, and to all of you. My wife, June, and I are very thankful for the warm reception that you have given us. We are very, very grateful, and we thank you for that. Also, one warning, though. Uh, know that we are not perfect, and we are journeying with you together on our journey to somewhere, I hope, right? So we are journeying together, and we are going to fall. So when I or my wife falls, please do not leave, a, leave us behind. Just bend down, pick us up, and let us walk with you, okay? We have to walk together in our journey. With that being said, let's begin. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The readings today are so rich, you can give a complete homily on every reading. But I'm not going to do that. You'll be here all day or all morning. So I'm going to focus a little bit on the psalm, on the second reading, and mostly on the gospel. As we know, week after week after week, the church has been preparing us for this last Sunday in ordinary time. The end of liturgical year, the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah, the King of the Jews, our King, and the King of the universe. Ironically, in today's reading, we hear the same names, the same names on the lips of those who tempted him and did not believe in his mission. For example, members of the Sanhedrin, the soldiers, and even one of the thieves dying alongside him. They scorned him in words and actions while he was on the cross, as it had been foretold in the book of Psalms, which said, they scoffed at him, saying, if he is truly the king, God will rescue him. But by shedding his blood on that cross, Jesus reveals his kingship over you, over me, and over the universe. Not by saving his life, but by offering it for our salvation, for your life and for mine. And of course, his kingdom is the church, the new Jerusalem that we sing about in today's psalm when King David said, I rejoice when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, the gates of Jerusalem. This blood covenant that Jesus made with us 2,000 years ago is celebrated today in a bloodless manner every time we come to Mass. Before we get into the readings of today in a greater detail, as I said, I think it would be right, just try to, to contemplate more about who the king, who this king of the universe is. Who is he? We talk a lot about him. So we start from the beginning. When the angel appeared to Mary and said, Hail, full of grace, the favorite one. Be not afraid, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. And the Lord God will give him a kingdom that will have no end. Then comes the presentation where Simeon's 
who came in spirit to the temple, took Jesus, the king of the universe, in his arm, blessed God, and said to Mary, Behold, this child Jesus is destined for fall and the rise of many, and to be a sign that will be contradicted. And for you, Mary, for you, yourself, a sword will pierce your heart. And today's gospel reading about the crucifixion of Jesus reveals the truth of Simeon's declaration to Mary, which took place 33 years earlier. But we also know that three years before the crucifixion, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. Immediately thereafter, he was tempted three times by the devil. As you recall, that Satan said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus responded, no, no, I didn't need your bread. I got my bread from my fathers in heaven. Therefore, Satan failed the temptation. Then Satan said to him again, If you worship me, I will give you all the power and the kingdom, the kingdom of this world. And Jesus said, No, no, I have more power than you do. And the kingdom I have, you will never have. And Satan failed again. Then said, Okay, said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself from the top of this temple. For it is written that God will send his angel to catch you. And Jesus said, no, no, my angels are already with me. They are carrying me right now. Please depart from me. So Satan failed again. After these three temptations, Satan departed from Jesus for a time and waited for another time to come. And we will get back to this later. Then came the remarkable conversion of Saul on his way to Damascus by the king of the universe. From Saul being a persecutor of the way, of the way, to Paul being a soldier for Christ who evangelized Asia Minor and much, much more. Paul described to us so beautifully who this king is, who this king of the universe is in today's second reading to the Colossians, saying, Jesus is the beloved Son of God, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the unseen God and the invisible, or the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. He is the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in Him and through Him Everything is created. In him and through him, everything is created. You and me are created through him. And because of that Christ is the king, we are now adopted sons and daughters of God through his divine filiation. And now as we go back to the passage of today, taken from the Gospel of Luke, we experience a moving scene at the crucifixion of Jesus. As noted in the gospel, Jesus was crucified between two thieves, one 
mocked him, and the other honored him and called him Lord. Notice how choices of the two thieves had dramatically different results. To the first one, his wrong choice brought him death and condemnation. To the other one, his right choice brought him salvation and everlasting life. The reading also stated very clearly that Jesus was tempted three times to save himself by coming down from the cross. But he refused this temptation, as we'll see later. Earlier, Luke told us that Satan departed after the temptation in the desert for another time. Well, now was the perfect time for Satan to tempt Jesus again on the cross when he is weak and bleeding to death. The temptation by Satan demonstrates to us that the power of evil is persistent, is present among us, is creative, and always waiting, ready for our moment of weakness to be devoured by him. But as we also know, that as long as we are with him, as long as we are with Christ, in our daily life, as and have him as our number one focus, the power of evil is powerless against us. We must believe, as Catholics and as Christians, that the forces of evil have no power over us. In his first and second temptation on the cross, the leaders of the synagogue sneered at him, saying, You saved others. Why do not want to save yourself? And when the soldier jeered at him, when tried to offer him wine, they said, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. Why are you up there on the cross? Come down. To these temptations, Jesus responded very beautifully, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And to his response to the third and final temptation by one of the criminals, we were told by Luke that the good thief rebuked the tempter. He rebuked the tempter. Note that the term rebuke is used in the Gospels in reference to demonic manifestations. Usually it is used, it is Jesus who, you, who rebukes Satan, not us. Jesus usually is the one who rebukes Satan. But in this final scene of Jesus' life, the rebuke is made by the good thief defending our Lord. So to the good thief, Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. But deacon, one might ask or might say, the good thief that you just talked about for the last two or three minutes did not do anything, did not do any work, and he gained his salvation. How can this be? He just said, I'm sorry, he had faith and now he is saved. No work is being done. How can this be? Well, my answer to this question is as follows. There's three parts to it. The good thief rebuked the other thief for chastising Jesus, saying to him, have you no, have no fear of God? We are criminal. 
but this guy did do nothing wrong. The question for us is, how often do we defend Jesus when someone berates him? How often do we do it? Whether it's in public or in private, how often do we do it? Number two, the good thief asked for forgiveness in front of a large gathering during the crucifixion. Big crowd, and he asked for forgiveness. The question for us is, how often do we ask for forgiveness when we do something wrong? It's not my fault, one would say. Whereas a good thief acknowledged his wrongdoing before everyone present at the crucifixion on Calvary. Third, the good thief acknowledged Jesus as his Lord and his Savior and asked Jesus to remember him in his kingdom. Do we do that? Let's do it more often. Therefore, one can say without, without certainty, with certainty, one can say with certainty that the good thief did plenty of work in one minute on the cross to be remembered or to join the Lord in paradise. We all have temptation in life, in our lives, like Jesus. Our temptation challenges us to do two things. One, either to be faithful to God through our baptism or to act against his will to, by fulfilling other people's expectations of us. In both temptations, Jesus remained faithful to the Father in the desert, and he remained faithful to him on the cross. We must do the same. So that we can confront our temptation and the evil one and enter into God's kingdom, a kingdom of truth, life, holiness, grace, justice, love, and peace. This is what his kingdom looked like. How happy we are to be a part of it. But there is more about who this king is. There is much more. Let's go through it step by step. Are you still with me? Okay. Other kings are born in palaces, the place of their fathers, as an adorn and adorned in gold. Our king was born in a stable adorned in a swaddling cloth and surrounded by hay. Other kings to be born are brought to the temple with elegance and fanfare. Our king was brought to the temple in the arm of his mother. Other king dined at the table of honor. Our king dined with the sick, the lonely, the despised, and the sinners. He dines with you and me every time we walk the church and attend the Mass. Other kings tried to distance themselves from the suffering of their people. Our king embraced suffering and entered into the condition of our humanity as we know it. Other kings sat at large thrones. Our king ascended to the throne of the cross. Other kings surrounded themselves with best things the world had to offer. 
our king felt our pain, the pain of the nails going through his flesh. Other kings wore the robes and crowns of gold. Our king stripped naked and wore a crown of thorn. Don't take me wrong. Our king is gentle, merciful, loving, and love itself. But he is much more. Our other king brings destruction to our societies and our world. Our king brings peace. But destruction of the evil ones. He is a warrior as he is a lover. He is a warrior. He does not want us to be taken by the evil one. So he fights for us. So we have to fight for him as well. Brothers and sisters, there is no darkness we will ever face that our king had, has not already overcome. Therefore, Jesus is the one who will cheer us when we win and the one who will comfort us when we suffer, when we are weak, and when we are in despair. And finally, the reading from the gospel invites us to reflect on three lessons that Jesus gave us from the cross of Calvary. The first one is that it is never too late to ask for God's mercy. Never too late to ask for God's mercy. The good thief just did that and turned to Jesus in his last moment of life. And Jesus accepted his act of faith. We can do the same every day whenever we have a priest sitting in the confession. God will give us the mercy through our priests. How lucky we are to have them around. Second, Regardless of what the good thief had done in the past, it is his final act of faithful petition and acknowledgement of his need for God's mercy, to which Jesus responded positively. And third, it would have been easy for the good thief to give in to despair. Sometimes we feel that. We feel so out of touch of reality and we we think we are going to, to go down the pit. But we can't do that. We have Christ on our side. Instead, he made an act of faith and hoped for God's mercy. Hoped. This is our main thing in life, to hope for eternal life. Can you imagine having someone with no hope? There's nothing there after this life. It's hard to imagine. If there is nothing after this life, what does it mean? As Catholics, we do believe in eternal salvation, eternal life. And Jesus granted him that mercy. The scene on the cross teaches us that there is no reason to ever despair or think that we are beyond redemption. Remember that Jesus is the king of the universe. You are king and my king. And there is nothing he cannot do for you and me. There is nothing he cannot do for you and me as long as we go to him with a sincere and surrendering heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Ghost. My friends, again on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, Mass is at 10 a.m. For those who uh, will be with us, well, I wish you a Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving on that day. For those who are traveling, we wish you a safe journey, peace and joy to your destination. May God bless you on this holiday.